Hello and welcome to On Landscape. I'm here with Mark Banks, who's just passing through Glencoe uh, on the way to or on, on the way out back home. Um, well, I've actually been here a week um, doing a running a workshop, so I'm in the second and the in the middle of another workshop. Ah, workshop here. sandwich. So it's workshop sandwich. Yeah. Um, in uh, actually in Glencoe, so not actually passing yeah. uh, through to go anywhere. Uh, although this time next week I'm. Uh, off to Ullapool to do some of my own photography and doing a bit of scouting yeah. uh, for possible future workshops. So that's what's going on. And I know you through meeting you at Joe Cornish's look uh, mm. gallery in um, North Allerton. Many moons ago. Many moons ago. When I just started using a large format camera, I came over and yeah. asked Joe for some advice and we bumped into each other a few times there. That's right. Yeah, that's fabulous. And um, you used to work with Joe... Um, providing some workshops there, and you also do your own workshops. Yes, that's right. Um, the I've been working. We usually do two or three workshops a year. Um, I've done for the last thirteen, fourteen years. I was two thousand six when we when we when wow. we started doing that, um, and um, still doing them. Um, I'm doing three workshops for the gallery this year. Fabulous. Are these, um, are these so, residential type workshops? Uh, in this particular case, there's there's. Two which are single day workshops, which they always tend to like to uh, to host, um, yeah. and uh, I'm putting together a, a three day workshop, possibly with some printing um, involved as well. Yeah, um, always so based based around North Allerton and well the northeast area. Always a popular topic, fighting the printers. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah I'm finding it's uh, it's it's certainly the workshops are the, the quickest to fill up a, a right. printing printing workshops. Well, I'll come back to that one in a moment, but yep. uh, as, as you're here, in, here for two weeks, you're here seeing quite a range of weather, aren't you, as well? As yes. We've been, uh, we've been, you could say lucky, because it was forecast to be non-stop rain for the whole two weeks you were here, but last week's been, been okay, hasn't it? It's been very good, and certainly I wasn't expecting that. In fact, when we, I did the introductions last, on Monday morning for the, for the first workshop, um, I, was, I was trying to... Um, work and talk about what we might do to get some moody yeah. images uh, because of how inclement it, you know, the forecast looked like it was going to be. But apart from uh, Tuesday, uh, which was a bit of a washout, uh, yeah. although we did some uh, woodland work, uh, on, which uh, gave us a bit of cover. It was incredibly windy as well. And it was very windy, absolutely. Uh, so we did some post-processing in the afternoon just to keep out of the, the thick of it. But apart from that day, all of the other days have been very, very good. You know, it's certainly mixed. I mean, not it well, yeah. hasn't been total blue sky weather, which no, is it's certainly not been non-stop rain, has it? No, um, and Rannet Moor has just been absolutely beautiful. There's a lovely dusting of snow on the top of the hills uh, on uh, Wednesday and Thursday, and the participants were cock a hoop. I mean, you know, the the the, the light was just absolutely gorgeous, and they got some beautiful images. A couple of nights ago, just before the full moon, there was amazing, amazing uh, sunset as well. Yeah. Uh, Beautiful, beautiful full moon going down over the Papa Glencoe. I noticed as I was driving without a camera over to Kinloch, even bad of me. Yeah, it's uh, so what's the what's next week looking like? You're, you're based uh, in, in Cantalan, is that right? Or that's right, yeah. yeah. And it's only about uh, 25 minutes away from the, the thick of it in, in Glencoe Pass and uh, and onto the onto the moor there. Um, and 
<clears throat> the first day this week, we actually went to uh, a Castle Stoker, which is just yeah. literally just down the road. So it's it's quite central, really. It's quite a nice, yeah. nice place to be based. Um, but this coming week, the weather forecast, yes, looks like it's going to be a lot of rain. Yeah. Um, but then that say that was what was forecast this time last exactly. week, and uh, and it and it turned out to be uh, wrong, which you know you certainly can't predict in these. I think the weather forecast parts. can be can be reliable the next day. Yes. That's about the best you can say for it. It's uh, yeah. it's best used as an indication of worst case scenario in general. Yes, I agree, and uh, you know hopefully you know you 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 prepare for the worst and hope yeah. for the best as it as it were. So, so um, what's, what's your favourite places to take your clients around? Uh, Ranet Moor for me right. is 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 very difficult to beat, particularly if you can get one of those. We, on I think it was Thursday, uh, we had uh, an afternoon where we had a um, mackerel sky um, with with a very very low breeze. So most of the time the uh, the town the Lockens, shall I say, um, were just yeah. very still, Absolutely. and of course beautiful snow on the distant mountains, and it was just like being in heaven. I mean, it was just yeah. amazing. It's just down near and, uh, and Loch Bar. That's right, yes, yeah. so all, all along all along that uh, that area, um, just fabulous, you know. So, and certainly <clears throat> we weren't expecting this, so no. um, it was uh, it was great. And, uh, you know, after the first two or three days when the weather was a little bit unpredictable, um, felt we deserved it. Mm. But it doesn't well, always work like that. I, I, we went for a drive over to um, Edinburgh on Wednesday. Right. So I'm not sure Wednesday was an okay day, I think, just mm. remember. But as we, as we went across Rannick Moor, there were three vans either on their side or off the side of the road. Or there was one actually, quite remarkably, a Luton van on its bonnet. So it was standing up like some sort of van henge. Oh, right. Okay. okay. Well, uh, uh, that, that presumably that was from uh, Legacy of Tuesday. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, we we drove over on Tuesday afternoon over Antmoor just to actually get you know the participants familiar with the area. Not yeah. that we could see much, um, and it was it was driving rain and very high winds. And I've got a top box on the top of my vehicle, which is relatively uh, high as well. And I was being shook all over the place. Um, and I've got to say there was big arctics coming through and I was quite surprised that they would even tackle it. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't surprise me that the next day there was there was uh, vehicles long, overturned. Long detour otherwise. Yes, I guess so. Yeah, that's probably so, why they want to take the risk. Yeah. So you've been coming for a while. Have you seen many changes in the area in those years? Cause that's, I presume your first trips up here were around that 2007 sort of time. Uh, yes, personally. Um, uh, the only changes I've seen is I was using a large format camera back then, yes. so uh, from a photographic point of view, um, I've seen change. But no, I, I can't say personally mm. I've seen that much change, which is nice. You know, there's so many yes. places you can go uh, where, you know, probably seen quite a bit of change over that time. But uh, no, I mean, that's one of the things thankful for Glencoe. I know they're having the... There's, there's been um, a big... The Glenetive, there's yeah, Speak about those later, but yes. Yes, um, but uh, but apart from that, I haven't seen any change, which is which is really nice. Uh, and the large format, because that's when we started out. I started with a large format camera. You you transitioned. How did you find that transition? Uh, I presume I, I presume the biggest pain was just developing the price of film, etc. It was it? when it, it, I transitioned back to digital when they stopped um, the uh, quick load. Yes. Film. Um, I was finding, up to that point, I was finding, I, I loved the performance of loading you, loading the film, and I found that really nice, and it was just a, 
um, it was just a lovely thing to do. Uh, yeah. But when I had to start changing film in, yeah. and putting that into uh, holders boxes uh, and boxes yeah. and having to do that in a dark tent on my kitchen table, uh, it was just taking the fun out of it. So you have uh, to remember to do it for every trip. Yeah, and that was just at the time when uh, Nikon brought out the D eight hundred, which you know was really for large format uh, photographers game was it was the camera. game changer. Um, so I went over to that, and I didn't find it too bad the transition because I was previous to using the large format camera. I was used to using some yeah. of the earlier Nikon's D seventeen D two hundred, so I was already quite um, you know or fair with that. Um, that D800 is a, is a remarkable camera because a colleague of mine, a photographer in the village here who does climbing photography, recently bought a D810, which was the mm. slight update to that, which is, I think it's a seven-year-old, I'm not sure how old it is, but it's not a new camera, let's say. Mm. Uh, and the second-hand price is still keeping it up there in the £1,500 mark for, a, mm. for an old camera. That's quite remarkable, which yeah. shows how good it was and how good it still is. And a very robust camera as well. So, I mean, you know, you mm. could it would take a lot of... Uh, battering about which all my cameras you know always seem to to get battered about but I do keep them and generally I do keep my cameras quite a long time I'm now using the A7R Sony A7R yeah. um, and I've had that well, I think it was six months when that had come out so I think we're talking about five five and a half years mm. now which is essentially um, that's like a a D800 inside. A it is. It's the same sensor as the D800. Yeah. The only reason I changed from the Nikon to, to that was because uh, um, I found Joe was using it with a tilt shift adapter. Um, I was going to ask you about that. It's how you found using the tilt shift adapter. Love I know, it. I know I use it uh, and I use it with a few different lenses um, and it's good fun. It, it is good fun and uh, as I was just mentioned to you just before we came on air was uh, Having just been to Venice recently, I found it invaluable uh, there for keeping all the uprights nice and upright. Yeah. Uh, so it was it was great. It, so you it, use that mostly for perspective or for tilt or, or um, depending it, on. I bought it for tilt, um, but I found I actually use it more for for okay. perspective. Um, but uh, but it's invaluable for all of those yeah. those things. And what um, lenses can you use shift with? Because obviously the, the the lenses mostly will be designed for. Um, 35 mil use? They are, correct. Um, the uh, two, I only use three lenses full stop. Okay. Um, I'm not a hoarder of camera equipment. I actually yeah. keep my um, you know, equipment uh, you know, quite lean. Yeah. Um, so uh, the three lenses I use are, I've got two Zeiss lenses. These were both designed to fit the D800, which yeah. is what I bought them for originally. Um, so um, I'm using a 50, uh, 25 millimeter Zeiss yeah. um, and a uh, 50 millimeter, yeah. uh, and then I've just got a 70 to 200 millimeter uh, Sony fit yes. for my for my Sony, uh, and that's the, the same lenses I've used, you know, for the last 10, 15 years. And you can use the shift with the two Zeiss lenses, and I can use them with yeah. that. Yeah, um, and I occasionally will use the um, the uh, shift for a panoramic. Okay. Yeah. You can't do too much. It's yeah. about 16 by nine. You can get away, get yeah. away with, but you know, I'm more than just happy nice. with that, and it's yeah. just just nice. So yeah. it works uh, works really well for that. As we've just been talking about, um, I do get a bit of light leakage, but I'm aware of that, so I'll just wrap the uh, the middle section with a yeah. uh, a lens cloth just to to, to stop like that. Going back but, to large um, format again. It is absolutely <laughs> all the fibers that go with it, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, in going back to using the large format camera. Uh, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, I'm really glad I, you know, I, I took that up because I felt I learned so much so quickly. Yeah. And uh, you know, 
Joe was very, very kind with his time. Um, and I probably learnt more in a year than it probably would have taken somebody three times longer because of Joe's help. So yeah. that was very, very useful for me. Um, I think and that forced, rigorous nature of large format that, that when people say it slows you down and it, it, it does slow you down. But I think the biggest thing it does is it makes you think about committing to a moment. Uh, that's the thing that it, for me made the difference is going, OK, not take 15 variations of one shot, which I tend to do with a, with a digital camera, but yes. um, wait for the right light. Give the, give the landscape a moment to, to reveal itself properly and make sure you've got the right composition. Um, and that's 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 the due that's to cost. Due, due to, to, cost. to cost, and that's how it's yes. forced because of cost. But that's a good lesson to take over into your general photography. Absolutely, and I don't think I've ever forgotten that. In fact, I still use a Linhof viewer okay, yes. uh, to do my yeah. uh, composing and image before I get all my equipment out of the bag because that's generally how you have to use a. And I still use a little square, a little. Uh, yeah. In fact, I've got David Unsworth, who lives around the corner, as a 10-8 photographer. He has a. A gold veneered uh, picture frame, wooden one, which he takes out into right. the landscape. Quite a big one, mm. so it's quite amusing to see. But yeah, it, it it does just changes in workflow because when I'm out with a digital now, I I'm either in tripod mode or handheld mode, and you can very much see I do different pictures. You take different pictures and think yes. differently yeah. when you're in those modes. And of course, the advantage of um well, you don't think it's an advantage probably for the first year of using a large format no, camera, no. but the, the fact that everything is upside down and contra-rotated um, is, um, it takes a long time to actually get, but once you've got it, you just, it's just brilliant because it, your composition, it just means that you, I don't know what it is, um, but having everything upside down just means that you can just see whether a composition is really working or not forces to look at shapes rather than objects. Absolutely, yeah. It divorces you, I think, from the emotional attachment that you might have to an image and just take it more pragmatically and, uh, yeah. and look at shapes, as you say. And uh, I just wish digital cameras had that feature on it because, uh, yeah. Well, one, one, it'd be great if they all had a crop mode so you could do any sort of crop, which we were talking about, the Sony camera being mm. particularly frustrating not having 5.4 or things like that square yeah. or a nice panoramic mode would be good. I don't think any camera has a like a 2 a to 20, 1 yeah. or a 617 style mode. Yeah, It'd no, I think you're right. Yes, and it can only be just software driven, can't it? It should be. It, it's, uh, it's just a pity that the manufacturers just don't seem to to see that that would be helpful, particularly for landscape photographers. They just, we're a niche, aren't we? I think we are, yeah. <laughs> Even though it's I'd like to think popular. a large niche because, I mean, you know, it, it's, it, is. It, it is a, a growing... Well, in the UK, I've been told it's the most popular genre mm. of photography for amateurs. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, printing, I was going to ask you about, because mm. you run quite a few printing workshops, don't you? Yes, I do. I, I just love printing, yeah. uh, and I love... Um, I suppose I'm fortunate that because I do run workshops that I, I have an, a good excuse to do to to, to print. Yeah. Um, but I just love it, um, and uh, I've uh, I've helped quite a lot of people out certainly in the last year or two uh, to help set their system up uh, and you know to see the faces when they when they see what they're seeing on the screen come out yeah. the same um, on a on a print is just brilliant. You know I just love that. Well, I'm going to ask you two questions. One is how has printing changed? Because I think the biggest change in printing in the last decade is a lot of people have moved over from Epson printers to Canon printers. Um, the other one is people using photo speed papers. But um, how, how do you think printing has changed for you over that time? 
and what do you think the biggest challenges for people still are? Um, I think that uh, certainly the biggest challenge is, is uh, making sure everything is calibrated from start to finish. Um, and uh, I appreciate people do tend to calibrate the screens uh, with a, you know, a, a purchase of a, of a yeah. standard calibrator, like a Spyder, like yeah. absolutely. Uh, but I, I always found it still rather frustrating, and I think people contacting me still finding it frustrating that when they use uh, profiles supplied by the manufacturer, that the, the profiles are still not, well, I'm sure they're accurate for, for the equipment that they've calibrated yes. on, um, but they're still not accurate enough. And uh, I had a, uh, an epiphany moment, as yeah. tends to come up in your yes. landscape uh, reviews quite often. Um, not long ago, when I actually bought an i1 Studio, which is twice, if not three times, the price and of a standard, yes. uh, but it actually allows you to profile the paper as well as the monitor. Yeah. And I'm... I sincerely believe that the advantages of doing that uh, by having this, using the same calibrator for calibrating your screen and profiling your papers, for me has just been exceptional. So right. much so that um, I'm just about to change on my website, on my printing masterclass workshop part of my website, um, as a slogan, first time, every time. Yeah. Because that's how it should be. It should be, yeah. it should be like that. You um, want printing to be cheap, you don't want to be doing seven prints to get the one you want. Absolutely. Um, and I can understand people's frustration because I really do feel it when, when people email me and ask, you know, for, asking for help uh, on this, you know, what is it they're doing wrong, etc. And you can, you can, you know, almost, oh, it's yeah. a tangible frustration that people yeah. have with printing. Um, and they want to get it right, it's just that they just don't feel that, the, you know, the, what they're seeing on the screen is totally not necessarily totally different, but certainly different from what they're getting on the uh, uh, on a print. Um, I think, I think profiling is an issue as well because the people think I'll get a profiler that's going to solve the problem, and that yeah. comes with its own problems. Because as as Joe knows, because I went around to Joe's house to calibrate his monitors at one point, I think we calibrated five monitors to the same standard, and they had the same minimal error, and they all looked different. Every yeah. single one. Um, because they were all tinted slightly differently. So yeah, especially if they're different manufacturers. Exactly, of, ISOs looked green, Max looked slightly magenta, yeah. etc. Yeah, you've got all of the, those issues as well, haven't you? Uh, I, I know that from when I'm doing the workshops because I tend to bring along with me a, um, a Benro screen yeah. um, and, uh, and have my uh, MacBook uh, and I can be processing somebody's image on the laptop and it can look slightly different on the yes. on the Benro and yes they've been calibrated by by two yeah. by the same profiler but uh, but yes you do get two different hues let's let's say yes, that's it isn't it slight tints and, and, yeah. and, and that was my revelation when we were around to Joe's to to actually just adjust each one so, to get uh, to get so a similar hue across them that's probably a very good idea yeah, yeah I think yeah. I probably need to do that with with my and then uh, did it to a sort of paper white, so basically got a, a, a my viewing booth or light or daylight or whatever you want to use. I tried to match roughly the same hue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, tr the, trying to get a print that works first time, especially with um, showing shadow details, etc. I know um, Joe's talked about this in some of our presentations about using white backgrounds and black backgrounds to be able to see how the highlights work, etc. But do you use in terms of profiles, do you make your own profiles for the paper or have you ever used an external 
profiling system, like PhotoSpeed do their own profiles? They do, but I, I didn't find them as accurate as using the, the, yeah. the i1 Studio. Um, again, not because their system isn't working, of course it is. No, it's just, it's, it, I've got a matching calibrator to the screen, to the, to the actual, you know, yeah. the, the same calibrators, then profiling the papers. And I think that's the difference. Yes. And I, have, I always have this psychological uh, thing with with if I could get to ninety five percent psychologically of what I see on the screen to yes. what I'm seeing on the paper, then I was more than happy. Uh, but I have to confess now that I've got the i one studio uh, that I'm up to ninety eight percent. Okay. And and yeah. and even you know dare yeah. I say, you know ninety nine hundred percent. You know it's that close now, uh, and I'm yeah. really pleased with the difference. I, I can't remember the last time printing do my own prints of actually having to do another one because I was disappointed with the with the with the previous which is exactly how it should be yeah absolutely now the the two things that I got raised when I read about printing it was the um what light you're using to look at your prints it with and also how bright your monitor is do those two much of an issue as far as you're concerned um, it's certainly an, uh, it used to be an issue, but I actually bought one of these uh, neutral lights. It's a little pop-up. I can't oh, yeah, quite remember what it's light. a little folding light, yeah. uh, and that's brilliant because then you, you you're seeing it in presumably five thousand five hundred Kelvin yes. or whatever the neutral yeah. uh, light is. And uh, yeah, uh, I think the biggest lesson I learned was: uh, Do you ever remember um, what he called Neil Neil Barstow? Yes. Yeah. Uh, he came to my house many moons ago um, and he said never comp never put your print next to the monitor yeah, and compare okay. them one, one to the other because that will not yeah uh, he said what you should do is is look at your print under a neutral light and at the time I only had the conservatory to do that yeah. in the middle of the day but daylight's but, good, but daylight's yeah. good yeah uh, and and then compare that then then go back and, and look at your, your screen yeah. Um, and just make a comp you know, so look at certain areas of the image, put it to memory, then take your print and look in, in daylight. Yeah. Uh, but now I'm able to, to use this this light. Um, yeah. I'm just able to, to look from one to yeah. from so from, not, from the so printer. Other, so they're not next to each other. Exactly. Yeah. And and just say the they're, they're almost identical now, yeah. which is absolutely great but Excellent. i just find that very rewarding but as far as prints are concerned yes i use photo speed papers yeah. um none in particular but you know i've got a range of them but uh, i do have a preference towards uh, natural soft texture bright white and uh, high white smooth those are my go-to papers yes. but i still like platinum cotton smooth cotton those type of just flavors essentially aren't yeah of, of the same type of thing yeah but i d very rarely do i print on two uh Burritos or uh, glossy, yeah. you know, oysters. And so, most if you if you're printing and you think about putting things behind glass uh, for displaying, um, I don't. Uh, funny enough, because generally I do printing so I can put them in a box to bring on workshops to yeah. show people. Yeah. So they just they just go into a portfolio uh, bag in my is, case. I think prints always look better not behind glass. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I remember going to um, a John Blakemore talk and it was at the photographer's place and he just sold his uh, library of pictures to the Birmingham library um, yeah. and he brought them all to show around he passed the passed the prints around the table yeah and that was a revelation to see good darkroom prints not behind glass because I think it does it doesn't destroy everything but it's definitely different 
It is, and you know, I think what's really nice, and I think participants actually gain from it as well, is that when they're holding the paper, it's got a lovely tactile feel to it. There's something tangible about holding a print in your hand as well, which is really, really nice. It's I an think, artifact, isn't it? yeah, it's just, it's just lovely, and it's, it, it, it reminds you of blotting paper, doesn't it? Of, yes. of past it, yeah. when, when you feel the fine art papers, and I think there's just something really really lovely about about that which is why I when I do print I tend to leave a bit of a, a wide margin around so any any fingers and things don't tend yeah, to exactly. bother yes. the uh, the actual print itself yeah. um, but uh, but yes I mean I just love those and what do you work on in, in terms of your own projects so you go out and doing workshops but like you say next week or the week after you're off to Torridon um, yeah. Um, what's, what, what do you do in your own projects? Um, I've only just started to work on projects um, purely because up until this year um, I haven't really had time. Yeah. I, I was working yeah. 80 hours a week uh, doing this as well as a full-time job but I went professional in March no. last, last year um, so I left my yeah. full-time job of 33 years um, yeah. and came full-time. and. Very scary moment, yes, and uh, so that's allowed me to have a little bit more time uh, to to do projects. Um, one which has been a, a legacy of, of a project I've been on for a while is my solitary yeah. Yeah. Uh, project of uh, generally lone trees, but I include lone cops, wood yes. copses as well. Um, so that's something that's a long-term one. Um, but uh, just before Christmas, I went uh, to, to Venice, and I plan on going there quite often yeah. uh, in the future as well uh, so, so what attracts uh, you to Venice? I just love street nighttime photography okay. not with people in it just just I love those type of moody pools of light and, pools of light and Venice is just amazing for that um, I did a workshop just before Christmas in Whitby to do a similar type of thing and that's another fabulous place yeah. where you know there's a lot of loads of little alleyways and they've got these lovely Victorian lamps yeah. etc and I just love um, you know, using the nice soft uh, brush in Lightroom and just just yeah. rubbing in areas and dark, enhancing certain. Absolutely, yeah. And I just love love that type of thing. So as much as you know, I I, I love all sorts of outdoor photography, like you know, landscape, um, and even doing um, exposure blending. Now I just love doing that. Um, but yeah, I do love these type of. So what what time of year is best to go and avoid the crowds in Venice and get the best? Well, I have, apart from when I was apparently very young, um, yeah. it was my first time of knowing uh, Venice, um, yeah. and this was literally just a week before Christmas. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, there were still quite a few people there, but yeah. you know, come, I've seen pictures where there's been, you know, St. Mark's Square is absolutely hordes of people. Um, you know, so there was still a lot of visitors. I think people. I think probably the the best time for photographers will probably be January because you know, there's something quite romantic about going you know near to Christmas. So that's when we went. It just happened that it just worked yeah. uh, worked for us. Uh, but uh, I think January will probably be the the best time to to avoid the the masses. But the the great thing I liked about it was uh, we got up five o'clock in the morning. Uh, and we were out, and, and and that was the best time, okay, because yeah. you had the streets to yourself. Yeah. You would start to get uh, path sweepers. They don't have any roads there, do they? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. path sweepers with these rooms, um, and uh, they would 
more often than not stand right in front of you and be sweeping the, yes. <laughs> the paths when you don't particularly want them yeah. to be there. Um, but that was that was that was the best time because yeah. uh, you could be out until eleven o'clock at night. Yeah. Um, but there was still a lot of people. There's a lot of nightlife in yes. in Venice. Yeah. So I suppose that time of the year that's partly why people are going, isn't it? Yeah. I think so. Yes. Yeah. And it, 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 but it was great. I mean, I just I was just in awe of the place, and it was just fabulous. Yeah. And yeah. Olapool. Where do, you, where do you go in Orpool? I haven't a clue. Oh, to be quite honest with you, this is new oh, to me. Okay. Yes, I mean, I've done plenty in Torridon and uh, Harris Lewis and yeah. uh, Sky, etc., but uh, not being ever been as far as up as Liverpool, which is why I'm going. Mm. Um, it's actually to do a, 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 a future workshop for the RPS, yes. which I was asked to do just a, a few years ago. And uh, well, so I'll just finding different places, really. To RPS are being a bit more engaged with their landscape audience, it seems. Uh, recently, they're very receptive now. Yeah. I think they've totally changed in the in their um, you know. Th there's certainly more than ever. I think there's a good reason to be a member of the RPS now. Uh, well, and I've I've been around the landscape subcommittee or whatever you call it, subgroup, right. uh, and it's fairly active. They've got their own little magazine, but they, I think it started um, well, not fairly amateur, but fairly self-run. So it's about run by the community, as it were. But mm -hmm. it's it's starting to look really good. Um, there's people like. Um, Paul Mitchell, who have got involved, yeah. um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. Who judges for the distinctions? Who judges for the distinctions? Yeah. Yeah. I've not met Paul, but it, I love his work. Yeah. Specifically, looking at some of the landscape side of things, I think as well. Yeah. So yeah. So when uh, when will this run this uh, landscape? Uh, the Sorry, one in in, in yes. Ullapool, um, Well, we're looking at probably February uh, twenty twenty one. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. It just depends because it, it's all about getting nice images to to advertise a workshop. So yes. you know, if it just happens to be pouring down with rain for five days, yeah. uh, it'll probably mean another journey up there before. You know, everything when you're doing this, you know, tutoring in landscape, everything has to be at least a year. You know, you're working a year behind yeah. when a workshop is. We've found this. We just uh, when we started running the conference at Reghead, we 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 went a year in advance to people asking could they talk. And they'd say, oh, oh, no, I've got workshops and you need to talk to me sooner. Uh, yeah. And then we talked to them two years in advance. And they said, oh, it's two years in advance. That's way too far in advance. So, yeah, there seems to be a window where everybody just books everything. Yes. Uh, but you say working a year in advance is quite quite hard to get everything promoted and get the right materials mm. and stuff. And it's, you know, and there's an, a cost to that as well, you mm. know. Um, you know, that's, that's another thing. It's not just... Um, the, the cost of actually running a workshop itself but you know it's it's, it's a cost of of yeah. scouting uh, which might need more than one one visit you know and we were talking with phil uh phil malpass yeah. um, and clive who were here um over the last week or so uh, and they'll typically come up three days in advance of a workshop to check yeah. that the location they plan on using are actually open or haven't changed dramatically you turn up and find a forest has been chopped down yeah. Since you last looked at the place. Yeah, I'm doing exactly the same in on the Isle of Harris. I'm doing uh, two back-to-back -back workshops up there in uh, March, but I've planned three days before, mainly because it could be that the ferries get cancelled uh, because yes. of bad weather, because that can still happen in in yeah. March there. Uh, so yes, if I get on the, the right ferry at the right time, then it means I've got three days of doing some nice some of my own photography yeah. and, and getting some more. Uh, images for my own use, but uh, I'm giving myself three days grace just in case there's cancellations. Yeah. 
Well, Sorry, thank you very Jeff. much for your time, Mark. You're very welcome. And, thank uh, you for inviting me. Enjoy the next week in Glencoe. Thank you. I'll do my best. The weather changes. Yes. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>